because this week I'm going to follow on a bit from last week and uh, I'm actually going to use some of the same imagery, not actually some of the same images, uh, but certainly some of the same imagery that Brendan used last week because we discovered last week that uh, consumer corporations, uh, people like Starbucks, Toyota, McDonald's, Ikea and the like, have immediately identifiable products or purposes and that the church also has a purpose. But unfortunately, our purpose of sometimes isn't as immediately identifiable, certainly by people outside the church, and unfortunately, even by people inside the church. So what is that purpose? Discipleship. Good. Brendan will be heartened to, re- to know that people actually remembered what... that people remembered what Brendan's message was, yes, to make disciples. And so I want to talk in a similar vein, but first of all, before before we talk about corporations, I think it's always good to begin with the Word of God. And so if you've got your Bibles, tablet form, phone, paper, whatever you've got, if you turn to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15, it says, Before I was born, God chose me, and called me by his marvellous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me, so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. And I don't know whether it does it in your Bible, but I've noticed in in mine that all these annoying asterisks appear. And so, when I was preparing for this, I actually clicked on it to see if anything would happen. And this other phrase, in me, popped up. And I thought... To me and in me are quite different things. So what does this mean? And as I clicked on that link, it took me to something else, a commentary on the Bible, and it actually expounded on that and says that what Paul was actually saying is that to reveal his son in me was actually what he was saying, in my innermost soul by the Holy Spirit. And he reinforces this further on in in Galatians. And he is basically admitting here that the revealing of his son by me to the Gentiles, this is Paul speaking, was impossible unless God had first revealed his son in Paul. What does that that mean? Well, first of all, it's obvious. God revealed Jesus to Paul in a fairly spectacular fashion. He met him on the road to the mountain. You know, this is, I am whom you've been persecuting. Oh, oops. And so... Jesus was revealed to Paul, but that wasn't the only thing Paul got out of it. Paul didn't suddenly realize that he had a personal Lord and Savior, and that he was, if he accepted Jesus, saved. He almost immediately recognized a second thing, and that was that he was called to preach that gospel to a group of people who'd never heard it before, which separated the gospel from Mosaic law. So two things happened in Paul's life. Not that only did he receive a personal revelation ab- about his relationship with God, but he came to a recognition that he had been chosen to actually just share that revelation with other people. Funnily enough, the same revolu- revolution, needs to be a revolution, I think, revelation needs to be 
in us. We actually need to have a personal encounter with the living God. And then we need to realize that not only are we called for God to be in us, but we're called to show people that God is in us. And it's actually a critical difference between a moral or a religious person and a Christian because they are different. I want to use a, a couple of corporations. I've chosen different ones from Brendan, but in the same vein as last week. First of all, let's took at look at this famous emblem here. This is, of course, Hungry Jack's. No? No, it's McDonald's. And everybody knows and recognises the golden arches all over the world. You'd only have to show this picture and people will salivate. Some people. Uh, people who know better won't. But a number of people here, I guess there are some of them, who could tell me who the founder of the McDonald's franchise was? Not the actual... <laughs> <laughs> not the actual people who started it, but Ray Kroc was actually the person. But he's no longer the CEO. The current CEO is, of course... Oh, hang on. No, it's not Ronald McDonald. Um, that's a mistake. It's actually um, a guy called Steve Easterbrook. Who's heard of Steve Easterbrook? Absolutely nobody. Well, one person said they had. Um, but they're obviously um, different. Um, <laughs> very well read, indeed. Uh, it took me some Googling to find uh, the name of that person. Uh, so it's interesting. Some of us know who the founder was, but even less of us know who the current CEO is. And the third thing about McDonald's is that we know the products, but who knows that the products change to reflect something, nutritional information of some sort. <laughs> who knows what? Did you know that McDonald's, when they first came to Australia, their stores sold products that were available nowhere else in the world? Some bright spark had decided that the Australian consumer was so different that the normal McDonald's fare would not suit. And so all the McDonald's stores in Australia sold Australian burgers. They weren't available anywhere else in the world. McDonald's made a huge loss until they reinstated their standard menu and their profits went through the roof. So their products change to reflect consumer demand. I guess that's probably the best way of putting it. So, let's have a look at another well-known name, Ikea. Now, I'm not actually sure, you've got to be careful on Google, but I'm pretty, sh I'm pretty sure that's actually not the current Ikea slogan. <laughs> <laughs> but let me tell you, it would be if I was the CEO of Ikea. <laughs> who knows who founded Ikea? Very close. Ingvar Kamprad founded Ikea. Who's the current CEO? Probably tells you up there. <laughs> Peter Angsfall, or something like that. <laughs> Who, who'd ever heard of these two people before I just mentioned them? A couple. Jared? No, he's just putting his hand up. <laughs> Most people have never heard of them, and yet Ingvar Kamprad is possibly the world's richest man, especially after the collapse of the American dollar. Um, 
And of course, their, their products too change to reflect current world trends in put-together furniture. Interestingly, I don't know whether you know this, but IKEA was started up on the kitchen table at the farm that Ingvar grew up on. Interestingly, Ingvar Kamprad grew up on Elmentyard Farm near the small village of Aganyarib. Nobody sees the significance in that? Exactly. That's how the name IKEA came about. The first two are his initials and the second two letters are the farm and the village that he grew up in. So if you thought it was something deep and meaningful, think again. <laughs> so we have these two organisations that are massively successful throughout the world. I want to look at a third organisation which is a worldwide corporation called the church. And immediately we can see that the church has an image problem. They're all churches and yet they look nothing alike. Some of them don't even look like churches. That one at the top right could be an observatory of some sort. Now, admittedly, they mostly have a cross on them somewhere. Um, but, you know, who knows there are no church corporate guidelines to make sure that everybody puts the cross up right. There are no colour swatches. There are no dimensional things, you know. If people have a shell service station and they put up the shell symbol, there are rules and regulations about how that symbol is allowed to appear. Whereas, as a church, you can put up a cross anywhere. It can be stubby, long, short, rotating, have Jesus on it, not have Jesus on it. can have flashing lights. The one up the road there has a, a mobile phone tower embedded inside it. <laughs> Very clever. The branding of the church is really in serious need of corporate overhaul. But here's the thing. Who founded the church? Who is the current CEO? Jesus. Now, this is, of course, uh, we got this from News of the World, so it's a very fuzzy, long-distance photo. So we're not 100% <laughs> sure this is Jesus. Um, but that was the best we could do back in uh, Palestine in the day. Uh, so... <laughs> And, of course, news of the world isn't the most, uh, um, yes. Anyway, so the interesting thing about the church is that everybody knows the founder and everybody knows the current CEO because they are one and the same and they have not actually changed in 2,000 years. The product, not too many people, as we discovered last week, know the product, but let me tell you, the product has not changed on the whim of consumer demand for that 2,000 years. You see, McDonald's and Ikea have religion. In fact, it's well known that they do things religiously. The thing about McDonald's, for instance, is that the staff is highly trained. Barry will attest to this, being once a highly trained McDonald's employee in, back in his youth. Yes, McDonald's did exist when Barry was young. <laughs> 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 Sorry, that was uncalled for. That's <laughs> uh, McDonald's did exist when I was young too. So, Well, not that young actually. <laughs> Burger King was around, yes. Um, now where was I? You've distracted me here. Ikea and McDonald's have religion. McDonald's success, because the McDonald's, name itself was actually 
because of the McDonald brothers. It was actually started by the McDonald's. But they had two restaurants. And they stopped at two restaurants because they couldn't envisage it going any bigger because it was just too much of a strain on their resources. They'd have to get a third store, they'd have to hire managers, they'd have to then go and work in the stores themselves to train people and make sure things were going right. But Ray Kroc came along and he saw a way of actually standardising things so that the effort put in by the, the people organising it was less. And so, I mean, McDonald's has expanded today. They have a hamburger university. You can go there and get a degree in burger flipping or flipping burgers. I'm not sure which way it goes. But if you walk into a McDonald's restaurant in Iraq, well I think there might be one in Iraq, I'm not sure, um, and you go to one in Antarctica, no, there probably isn't one in Antarctica, um, in Buenos Aires, whether you speak the language or not, you could walk in there if you'd been trained and make a burger the same and have it delivered to a customer the same way in any part of the world because their system is followed religiously so that it, everything is exactly the same. The, the machines are the same, the burgers are the same, the bread's the same. Actually, no, the bread isn't the same, but let's not get carried away with details. Um, <laughs> but the whole system is religiously followed and their success comes out of the fact that it can be replicated and duplicated all over the world. IKEA is the same. Their flat packs are distributed all over the world and with a single tool and a booklet of instructions and a reasonable level of intelligence, <laughs> you can put together the furniture given a few hours. And sometimes have things left over. I mean, my mother has just replaced all her bookcases with IKEA flat packs because they were all dark wood and she preferred something lighter. So she got these four flat packs. And uh, my brother-in-law, who is not renowned for his handymanship, in fact, he often uses the wrong end of a hammer to hammer nails in, um, was helping with this. And when they got to the end, they discovered that somehow the top shelf he had put in backwards. <laughs> and so the unfinished particle board was showing at the front. But they'd nailed the back on. And to get it off again, he hadn't nailed it on very well because he'd split the timber in places. And so getting it off was out of the question. And so my mother was stuck with this row of bookcases, one of which had, because they're not nice white finish, with this horrible piece of particle board. Now you see, my mother is a handy person. She went out and got some iron-on laminate, <laughs> just the right width, cut it to length and ironed it on so that you can't tell the difference. <laughs> but, you know, it, it does, you know, Ikea's interesting. But it relies on the uniformity of its production methods and its construction methods to become popular. If it was too hard to put up, nobody would buy it. And if it was too expensive, nobody would bother either. So, the employees of Ikea and McDonald's are very well trained. There is a well-defined and developed procedure in place in both of these organisations that virtually guarantees the success of the product. Whether the people buy it or not is irrelevant. But there is absolutely no requirement and no importance placed on having a relationship with the CEO. In fact, as we most, mostly discovered most people don't know who the CEO is and most of the employees probably don't give a stuff either. 
In fact, when you're working in these places, you're not really necessarily encouraged to have a relationship with the people you're working with beyond the fact that you don't want arguments in the workplace and you don't want people um, having their hands stuck in hot oil just because you don't like them and things like this. Um, but it's not encouraged as a, as a, a bonding exercise to have a, a great network of friends in the McDonald's empire, for instance. Now, it's interesting, because if you look at the church, see, the church has very poorly trained employees, many of whom don't even turn up to work on a regular basis, <laughs> if at all. Most of them have read the training manual, but very few actually put it into practice. In fact, the only qualification you actually need to be a Christian is the desire to get to know the CEO of the company. Once you get to know him, the only instruction you get from the CEO is to become buddies with all the other employees, learn from them, and then go out and start interviewing new people for positions in the company. That's all you get. And yet, the church works really well and is an, a marvellous and incredible organisation. Chris, could you come up here, please? See, I happen to know that Chris is a, is a great Christian. And so, because he's a great Christian, and he's an employee of the church, can you just hold that for me? Yeah. I think it's about time he was preaching. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> Correct response. Don't sit down for a minute, though. Because in, in a normal organisation, Chris would not be considered a valuable employee unless he'd learnt the skills and the, and the uh, development to actually do a particular task in the organisation well and to receive huge amounts of training. But you see, all Chris has done is he's come to church and accepted a relationship with the CEO and then he's gone and told other people about his relationship and encourage them to have a relationship with, with Jesus. And the thing is that that makes Chris the best employee that Jesus can find. Yes. Employee of the... Yeah. <laughs> and so... And the thing is that he, he's working at what he can do. I mean, Chris is running an alpha course. He's involved in connect groups. He's actually involved in interviewing future employees for the company all the time. Because that's all, all it takes. And that makes him, as, as we said, if we could put a star on him, star employee of the month. So give him a hand as he goes back to his seat. And there are other people. I mean, Ada is another star employee. And there are, there are people who, when we get hold of this idea, it's what, it's what drives the church. See, a Christian has more than an intellectual... Oh, good point. Once you give me a microphone, I'm lost. <laughs> a Christian has more than an intellectual belief in Christ. They, they want a personal relationship. And they know that this relationship is not solely given to them for their own personal comfort and joy. Don't they? Pardon? Some of you don't seem too sure. Who would like it to be for their, just for their own personal comfort and joy? Nobody's willing to admit that except me. Okay, moving on. They know that they have a responsibility. We know that we have a responsibility to reveal Christ to others through what we are, what we do, and what we say. 
what we are, what we do, and what we say. We are Christians because we have Christ, not because we have religion. That is the great difference between the church and every other organisation in the world. And the most important difference, we have Christ. The other difference that's crucially important is a difference of attitude and motiv motivation. You see, Paul in Galatians 1.10 tell, tells us the change in his priorities after his encounter with Jesus. He says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If people pleasing, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Now, he doesn't say, if pleasing people were my goal, I wouldn't be a very good servant. He says, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. In other words, servants of Christ cannot be people pleasers. I hope you feel as guilty as I do. McDonald's would, and may still, go out of business if it didn't at please people with its food choices. It's con constantly evolving its food range in order to please the customers. I mean, popular opinion is such now that McDonald's sells healthy salads and, you know, low-carb wraps and sort of low-sugar drinks and all sorts of things because people suddenly decided they weren't going to eat fatty burgers. They'd rather have a fatty salad instead. Ikea has to make flat-pack furniture simple enough for the average person to assemble, otherwise nobody would buy it. Their success is actually determined by the end user. In the church, however, the gospel produces confident and fearless followers of Jesus doing what is right without concern for the approval of others. Paul says that he couldn't be a servant of Christ if you're a people pleaser. That makes it pretty important. If being a people pleaser disqualifies you, and that's basically what he's saying, from being a servant of Christ, it's a pretty big deal. It's an attitude that we actually have to switch 180 degrees. It's not an attitude we need to soften. It's not an attitude we need to ease in or ease out of, because it's, it's not good to have, but a little bit of it's probably all right. Nope. Right out. Four is, five is right out. The Bible talks about the sin of pleasing man a lot. Doesn't all call it the same thing, but it appears in the Bible an incredible number of times. Trying to win the approval of people refers to a view of people or a particular person or group of people that causes you to elevate their importance, to hold them in awe, to crave their approval and to fear their disapproval. Anybody ever had a group of people that had that impact on them? I did at school. There were certain people who I was frightened to get their disapproval because it usually meant pain. There were people whose approval I really wanted to get because it usually meant good marks. In my day, they were the same people 
He gave you both. These days they're not allowed to inflict pain. But uh, the yard ruler was commonly used as an instrument of punishment back in my primary school days. Um, and if that wasn't enough, you got taken up to the headmaster's office who shook you like a jelly baby. One hand either side of your ears and he'd shake your head. He'd be in prison now for child abuse. He did that sort of thing. Didn't affect me though. Funnily, interestingly enough, it's actually a situation where your desire for their blessing amounts to worship, adoration. You actually give some other person the power over your heart that only God should have. Man-pleasing can be dangerous. Imagine, because it, me, it means you would be as devastated by the loss of their approval as if you felt condemned or criticised by God himself. That is giving an unreasonable amount of power to a human. To elevate a person or a group of people to godhood in your life because of their effect or, or because of something in you which is asking for their approval is an extremely dangerous way to live. So how does the gospel destroy that? Because it does. It frees us and motivates us to seek to win the approval of God, as Paul said in verse 10. God's approval is the only one that matters. Trusting in Christ brings God's full and complete favour and approval into our life. I'll repeat that. Trusting in Christ brings God's full and complete that means not partial or incomplete, but full and complete. No subclauses, no fine print, no escapes. Approval. When he sees us as believers, he sees Jesus. Yes, Brianna? See that, that guy I showed you on the screen, that fuzzy photo? That that's what God sees when he, he looks at you. <laughs> or is he... <laughs> With a beard. Actually, he's more like you. He turns the dial up so that you're on. Never mind. Galatians 3.25 says, And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For, all, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. So it's in, in other words, it's like God looking at us and only seeing what we've put on. Christ, is the clo Christ clothes us, if you like. He doesn't see the things that we see underneath. The sin, the depravity. Well, perhaps not in all of us. Well, yes, in all of us. You're all sinful and depraved, let's be honest here. Um, it's just that who knows that we don't think we are, we just think other people are. But every, every, if every single person here is thinking, I'm not depraved, but everybody else is, then it stands to reason that somehow everybody gets to be depraved. We don't like to work that out to its full extent. But. And so, when it, whenever God sees us, he, he says exactly what we read in Mark 1.11. You are my dearly loved, and you bring me great joy. Because he sees Jesus. Every time he sees us, he, he says that same thing. You're my dearly beloved son. And you bring me great joy. Because that's who he sees when he sees us. 
God is pleased with us. Repeat after me. God is pleased with me. You may not sound so sure. Come on. God is pleased with me. Wouldn't you be excited about that? What it, Chris is pleased with me. <laughs> you don't give us stuff. <laughs> but it's important to know that God is pleased with us. Paul urges Christians to obey God because it's pleasing to God. Romans 12.1 says, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. You see, we can't, the way we live, because we've, ta- we've talked about grace and the fact that our covering in Christ allows us the grace of God and that we can stuff up, we can make mistakes, we can sin, but if we repent, God will always come back to us. And the temptation is to live a life of sin because we know we can ask for forgiveness. That we can actually take God's grace and turn it into license and and live a life that God proud because we don't have to but if we know that God loves us completely shouldn't we want to live a life that honors him I can still remember when Ben was a, a young lad he played soccer now it's not a game that I'm terribly familiar with and he was quite keen at the time and uh, I want you just to imagine us going to a soccer match and Ben's excited I'm not because it's seven o'clock in the morning and we're discussing strategy for the match because even though I didn't know much about it I knew enough to say well you know don't just follow the ball everywhere stick to your position mark your man this sort of thing and uh, he'd go out on the field and all these boys it's like a swarm of bees following honey (laughs) all over the field but occasionally Ben would get the ball and he'd weave past players and he'd shoot and he'd kick sometimes he'd kick for a goal sometimes he'd just kick (laughs) but when he did it and when he'd done something right you could tell way out on the other side of the field whether he could see me or not he'd he'd turn around and grin (laughs) because he knew he knew that I was standing there on the sidelines with this goofy grin on my face that's my boy but why, did he, why was he proud to do that? Was he actually looking to hope that I would love him if he did well? No, he knew I loved him, whether he got a kick or not, whether he kicked a goal, no matter what he did on the soccer pitch, I still loved him. What he did was he was striving to play better to make me proud. Because he, he was certain in his love. Kirsty would do the same thing. She didn't play soccer. She swam. And you could tell she knew when she'd done well. She'd pull her cap off at the side of the pool. She'd look up the clock and then she'd grin. She'd look over at Vicky and I sitting in the thing and she'd look over and it's like, <laughs> I did it. Why? Did she, did she look at us seeking our approval because he wasn't sure whether we loved her or not? No. She knew that we loved her no matter how she did in the pool. Whether she'd actually swum the butterfly during the backstroke leg or I don't think that ever happened because she's, she's very detailed that way. But our kids weren't looking to us for approval because they doubted our love. They were looking to us because they were proud and certain in their love that they actually wanted to do well for us. 
And the same with God. He doesn't want us to do well so that we can gain His love. He sees Christ when He sees us. His love for us is complete and full. But we can actually win God's approval. We can actually live our life the best way we can because we are secure in the complete, total and utter love of Jesus Christ. If you had that love from somebody, if my kids knew that I had complete love for them, why would they go and live a life that is against that love? I mean, they had their moments. I mean, Ben modified my car without my knowledge. which I wasn't at all upset about because I didn't discover until years afterwards. <laughs> and if I had discovered at the time, I would have been justifiably annoyed. But he wouldn't have lost my love. I would have just been a little disappointed that it wasn't perhaps what I was looking for. And he's gone on. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a disconnect we have because he's... He's had 15, how many cars have you had? 14 cars in his life. He's 26, 7. I'm, I'm 56 and I've had five cars. Half of those were owned by my wife before I, uh, I, I owned one. Of, in fact, the first car I owned was probably when I was about 35. And so, all that to say that Ben's done different things and things that I wouldn't necessarily agree with and aren't in interested in, but it hasn't altered the fact that he is secure in doing that, knowing that I don't hate him because he's got fift had 15 cars and I've only had, I've bought five. My love is not dependent upon his actions. and His actions do not define my love for him. God does exactly the same thing. So we need... That's, that's where... The power of the gospel comes. It's God's approval we're seeking, not man's or women's or a group of them. The gospel message has not changed in 2,000 years because we are not seeking the approval of the listeners of the message. We are seeking the approval of the source of the message. We are not Christians because we have religion. We are Christians because we have Christ. That is what separates us. And what Paul discovered is that we are Christians not because we have Christ and religion, but only because we have Christ. His argument was that if we taint Christ with religion, we take away that certainty of God's complete love. If God's complete love is not enough, then we need something else. We need a bit of religion. We need to make sure that we make our Sunday services work exactly the same way so that we can take it all over the world because if we don't do that, it's not going to work. You walk into any church on the planet and they'll do things differently. <laughs> Even at C3 churches where we do a lot of the same stuff, you wander in another C3 church and there'll be similarities but they'll do things differently. It's because Christ is enough. That's what defines us. And if we're seeking to approve the approval of God, guess what he asks us to do? It's what I talked about with Chris. All he asks us to do is accept him. 
into our lives and to share that with others. He, he gives us a, a guidebook, but there are no five steps to discipleship. There are no lessons to learn to be a good disciple. There's no, no passage of the Bible that you have to have read or you can't be a disciple. There's no years of experience you have to have before you can become a disciple. There's no years of experience you have to have to make a disciple. All you have to have is an instruction from the CEO. And in Matthew 26-ish, 28, 28, 18, I knew it was 26 something. <laughs> Close enough, I mean it's like ages really. 28, 18 says, God has been given, Jesus has been given authority. And in that authority, he has sent us out into the world to make disciples. We are Christians because we have Christ. Can I get you just to close your eyes? Because you see, on that point hangs everything about the Christian faith. We are Christians because we have Christ. If you want to turn that around, people aren't Christians because they lack Christ. The only qualification for being a, Christ, a Christian is to accept Jesus Christ into your life. Now, if you're here this morning and you have never taken that step, you have never decided that you wanted Christ in your life, and this morning you feel Him knocking at the door of your heart, you feel a desire to change your motivation in life not to be a people pleaser but to be a pleaser of Jesus Christ and then I want to give you an opportunity to accept his invitation to be a Christian to have Jesus in your life if there's anyone here this morning who's never done that but would like to do that this morning can I ask you while Everybody's heads are bowed and eyes closed just to raise your hand right now so that I can see it. And I'll pray with you to invite Jesus into your life. Is there anyone here at all who would like to do that? There may be people here and you have religion. You've been to church. You know the rituals. You know the rites. But you've never actually taken the step of deciding to have a personal relationship with Jesus. God wants to invite you into a relationship with Him as well. If that's you this morning, would you lift your hand now? And I'd love to pray that same prayer with you. Excellent. Can I get you to open your eyes, stand to your feet? to pray a prayer together before I close. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus Christ, from this day forward, I pledge not to be a people pleaser, but a God pleaser. Not just God, but Jesus Christ, my Lord 
and Savior. Amen. Yes, Brent then has just commented he wished he hadn't prayed that because he didn't know what he was getting himself into. I just want to encourage people. You know, we look at the way things are done in the world and we're often, I think, seduced by the fact that the trappings of religion often make things look better than they really are. The trappings of Christ are simple and unadorned but powerful in ways we can't imagine. But often they're not sexy. They're not commercially designed. But that doesn't lessen their power. We need to be a people who, what we do, what we say, and who we are, reflect Jesus. I mean, we have corporations, television companies, big corporations make lots of money their symbols are instantly identifiable you tell me how a particular television station could have a panel of people in the morning who talk about moral issues and regard themselves as, as arbiters of moral standards in our society and later that day late at night that same television station can play adverts for a company that encourages people to commit infidelity because they're sick of their current partner causing distress in the community encouraging behaviour that in any sensible society is stupid and yet this is the one and the same television station claiming one to be a moral watchdog and on the other to let you do whatever you like we have to be careful that the church does not become organization that says one thing in the morning does another thing at night that says one thing on Sunday and does something different on Monday and I'm not talking about a corporation because we are the church let us not do one thing on Sunday and a different thing on Monday let us not be holy and righteous and telling people about Jesus on Sunday and not telling people about Jesus on Monday Sundays are actually to prepare us to do the work for the rest of the week so I, I charge you this morning. Go do it in Jesus' name. Amen.